Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. first lesson, which is Psalm 19. Listen to God's word. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, heard yet their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to end of the world, in the heavens he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to end of them. And nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, moreover by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Please rise for the reading of our second lesson, which comes from Acts 21, 17 through 20 and 27 through 32. Listen again to, to God's word. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to visit James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they praised God. 
Then they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands of believers there are among the Jews, and they are all zealous for the law. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, who had seen him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd. They seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. More than that, he has actually brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was aroused, and the people rushed together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors shut. While they were trying to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Immediately he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. This is the word of the Lord. When I first heard about the Chattahoochee Dam's impending doom, I was actually really angry. I used to walk out on the rocks with my grandmother, and we would collect pebbles and bits of smooth glass from that day's adventure. I quickly put two and two together and realized that after the dam was destroyed, I'd no longer be able to explore this area with her, since our favorite spot would soon be submerged. As long as I can remember, the river has remained constant and ever-present. I couldn't imagine it differently. I also know I wasn't the only one upset by the idea of the river changing. My sister was saddened at the thought of not seeing the dam as we rode to either of our grandparents' houses in Alabama. Looking back, I realize now that I was more concerned with the idea of change rather than what it entailed. In Acts 21, we learned that the Jews struggled with this very same concept, change. However, what was going on in the Jewish community at the time was a much bigger deal than a shift in the flow of the river. Paul was told by God to share the gospel with the Gentiles, who were previously unreached. The gospel had never been shared with anyone other than the Jews. So the, so the Jews were angered by this, and they tried to kill Paul. And they formed a 40-person mob and tried to ambush him, claiming that Paul was turning Jews away from the law. But Paul was willing to risk his life in order to fulfill God's commandment to him, even without a guarantee that his ministry would be successful. The Jews were angry that Paul was sharing something sacred with people they didn't consider worthy. However, Paul persevered. He knew enough to trust in the plans that God had made for him and for the Gentiles. He didn't give up, even though it was hard, and he was persecuted for his actions. Paul employed the resources he had at his disposal to continue to share the good news with the Gentiles. Paul used the fact that he was a Jew and a Roman citizen to his advantage. He didn't question God or doubt that God had a plan or that God was in control. He simply did what was asked of him. Often, we can be like the Jews in this story. I know I can. We are all too quick to judge and can be exclusive. Even though it can be hard sometimes, trusting in God's plan is the best thing to do. Now that I can look past my initial rejection of change, I realize that changing the river was exactly what Columbus needed. It added a great family-friendly activity and has helped the local economy. If I'm honest, the reason behind my distress was selfishness as I, like so many humans, are resistant to change. After actually going down the rapids myself, I see a new Chattahoochee, and I like what I see. The downtown environment is more alive because of it, and it has helped shape our community in a positive way. When God presents an opportunity for change, we should jump at it rather than run from it. 
I've always had a huge issue with change. I like routine. I like knowing what is going to happen before it does happen. So when something doesn't go the way I planned, I often become frustrated. It's not that I want things to go my way necessarily. I just like to know what will happen before it does happen. When something changes and I wasn't prepared, I, of, I will find that I often spend more time focusing on how I don't like the new or how I miss the old instead of trying to make the best of what's happened. As I prepared to enter the ninth grade, I was scared and worried about all the uncertainties that came along with high school. I longed to return to middle school where I knew every person in my eighth grade class of 32 kids. Now, you couldn't pay me to return. Here again as a senior, I find myself in a similar crossroads. I'm headed to college in the fall, and while I'm nervous, I'm nowhere nearly as terrified as I was on that first day of freshman year. I have learned from experience that when major changes happen in life, growth is a byproduct, if you are willing to accept the challenge. I have learned a lot since I was that terrified freshman, and now I can't wait to take on the next chapter that God has planned for me. For many years, I have been involved with Camp Skyline Ranch in North Alabama, first as a camper, then in leadership training, and last summer I became part of the counseling staff. This past summer, two key positions had become vacant and were filled by women who previously served in other areas of Camp Skyline. The chaplain and one of our program directors chose to spend more time with their families and were no longer a part of my Skyline experience. Initially, I was most upset as I could not imagine camp without either of them, since they had both been so influential in my life. But as soon as I arrived at camp for orientation, I realized that the two women selected for the positions were wonderful blessings for all of those involved with camp that summer. I realized that being distressed about change won't stop it, for everything changes. What it will do is rob the present of its joy. I realized that not only was I privileged to build relationships with two godly women this past summer, but the two ladies that left were also able to start new chapters in their lives. This summer, a similar thing is happening. Another spot has become vacant and is being filled. Instead of worrying about whether or not the new addition to camp staff is going to be what we need or what I want to happen, I'm choosing to trust that God has a plan for Camp Skyline this summer and all of those who pass through its gates. I can't wait to be there and see what he has in store for us. Having issues with change seems to be a reoccurring theme with human nature. We are so reluctant to simply put our trust in God and see that he has a plan for us and that it will all work out. We need to look at change as a chance to start a new chapter of life and leap at the opportunities provided to us. Even though the actual change itself is out of our control, our reaction to it is not. Sometimes how we respond to change is more important than the actual change itself. We have the chance to use our reaction to change to show that while we aren't in control, we trust who is and in his plans for us. We can choose to be like Paul or we can be like the Jews who tried to stop Paul from sharing the gospel. Hopefully we will all work towards being more like Paul, whose goal was to be more like Jesus, trusting God despite our concerns and uncertainty. Please rise for our third reading, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Listen again to God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are only one body, so, is it, so it is with Christ. For, the, for in the one spirit, which we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
the foot, if the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong with the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong in the body, that would not make the ear any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were, he were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is with God, um, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, but yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with a greater respect. Whereas um, our more respectable, but God has also said that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ, individually, and members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just want to say that I'm really glad to be up here, and I'm really thankful that God has given me this opportunity to continue further on my journey, my faith. When I first joined this church, I would never have been able to picture myself up here talking in front of a large crowd of people. Even last year, I was determined that I would never get up here and do this, but this year, God led me in a different direction, and I'm just really grateful and feel really blessed, and it means a lot to me. So. Now it is told in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it hard to love, especially when it's someone that you really wish you had never met. When I was in eighth grade, I was the only girl trumpet player. I was good. I wasn't the best, but I was close. One obstacle stood in my way and that was a trumpet player I call he who shall not be named. What, what did he do that was so bad? Well, he took my trumpet solo. Not only did he take it, but he messed it up at competition too. I hated him. I despised and hated him and wished he would get on with his life. But then I stopped and realized, hey, where is this hate getting me? It wasn't just hate though. It was jealousy because he was indeed better than me. I think this is a problem we face in today's society. We are always trying to be better than everyone else, always trying to have the fastest internet, the most Instagram followers, the most or the best of whatever is popular. And at least jealousy and hate and everything exactly opposite of what Paul's vision for the church is. But it's not just in society that this happens. This one-upping can even be seen in our own church. Whenever we were getting ready for the VIP bed race by de decorating our bed, our goal was to decorate the bed as uniquely as possible while still being able to run fast with it. We wanted to win the challenge of having the best decorated bed and the fastest out there. The youth aren't the only people guilty of trying to be better though. Even in the big church, people are always worried about who is just the best or who is the better Christian. In our scripture this morning, 
Paul gives us a different vision. He tells us that we, as the church, make up the body of Christ. And we do. We are the ears, the eyes, the nose, the fingers, even that little joint somewhere in the arm that we really don't think about because we don't consider it important. The point is, is that we are all equally important, and we all have our own special functions that we contribute, just as our actual bodies do. Some people don't exactly realize this, though, because part of being human is being jealous and trying to be better than the person beside us. Sometimes I'll just be at Walmart or the mall even, and I sit there and I judge the people and I compare myself to them, and I don't even realize that I do it. We all do it. But we shouldn't do that. A body can't and won't function right if the eyes are always telling the elbow that it has no purpose or if the ears are always telling the mouth that it is dumb. The left arm doesn't control the right arm and the knee isn't in control of the body and its movements. This is what Paul is trying to get us, as the church, to understand. God doesn't want us to think mean thoughts about trumpet players who steal other trumpet players' solos or think about how the lady in the pew in front of us has a single strand of hair out of place. It may be hard to hear, but it is the truth that we all need to face. God wants us to love one another, and Paul tells us that when he teaches that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If your little sister steals your jeans and then colors on them with a pen at school, are you gonna get mad at her? Well, yeah, but are you supposed to? Is that what God wants? No, you must forgive her and be nice to her. You must be patient with her because maybe she didn't know that those particular, particular pair of jeans was your favorite pair of jeans. It's the same thing anywhere else in the world and in the community. I've noticed lately that people are quick to judge and shrug off somebody just because of his or her looks or the way that he or she dresses. And they don't even know that person, just as your sister didn't know about those genes. Maybe that person has lived a hard life and just wants to socialize. When you spread, when you spread love, every one of God's children deserves it. That man that you just avoided because he had holes in his clothes, it's very likely that all he needed was to feel God's love. I've been to a lot of mission trips since I've joined the youth group. And what has stuck with me was the people who have made impacts on other people's lives. The most recent one was during One Block, One Vision, where I was part of the Habitat for Humanity group. Basically, our mission project was to assist the Habitat for Humanity volunteers with the building of the houses. It was about lunchtime, and we were all walking to the truck when I noticed our chaperone, Jenny Rose, talking to a man named Bernard, who was in a motorized wheelchair because he had no legs. As soon as we walked up, he talked to us, complimented us, made us feel good about ourselves. He started asking us about church, and we talked to him and talked and talked and talked. He inspired me because he was so full of life, and he was glad to have people to talk to because he doesn't get out much. The sad part is, is that if I were to just see him out on the street, I wouldn't have given him a second glance and wouldn't have been able to make an impact on his life either. Most of the people who have made impacts on my life and on my faith have been people that I would usually avoid on the street just because they look different. It's what we all do. 
I remember this one time during Sunday school, our teacher, Crystal Trawick, took us to the Iron Bank coffee shop. We were just sitting there drinking coffee, and all of a sudden, a homeless man approached me and asked me for money. He wanted coffee. I was scared. I was shocked. I had no reaction. I didn't know what to do in that kind of situation. What if he really didn't go buy that coffee? But Crystal reached into her purse and gave him $5, and we were also able to share a little bit of our lesson in the love of God with him. A few minutes later, the same man came back with a huge cup of coffee, said thank you, God bless, and went on his way. Sometimes you just have to reach out to people. You never know what he or she has been through. As Plato once wrote, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle. I love this quote because it just ties in with what Paul says about being kind and loving one another. You can't be a church or body if you don't love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, regardless of if he cut in front of you or in the lunch line, or if your opinion is different from hers, or if that man over there looks funny. God doesn't judge us like that. He loves us regardless. He loves us so much that he sent his son, our Lord Jesus, to come and save us. And that is why we love. We love because he loved us first.